Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. Well, good morning again and welcome to our service online. And it's great to have you no matter where you're coming from, near or far. And we welcome you to our service at Kenmore Church. We've been unpacking the theme in recent weeks called Then and Now. And we're talking about what principles uh, apply that were really uh, taken as given in Bible times. And then how do we apply them today? Where obviously our culture, technology, communications, everything about our life is so different from the lifestyle that we find talked about and with principles applied in Scripture. And so this week I want to talk about the idea of walking with God, hearing from God, all the sorts of things that those of us in our culture seem to struggle with quite a lot is like, what is God saying? I can't, I can't hear him. How does he talk to us in these days? Because in Bible times, back then, it was all very different. Uh, Pre-Jesus coming, we had uh, the Red Seas parting. We had Ten Commandments given. We had very clear prophetic voices. We had donkeys talking of all things. We had the prophets proclaiming. We had ephods for guiding people. Uh, and then when Jesus came, there were voices, the voice from heaven from God himself. There was a dove falling. It all was very clear. They had Jesus uh, walking and talking with them. We had the apostles who had essentially lived with him, uh, all except Paul, of course, who met him uh, after the uh, resurrection. But there was that, very, that sense of imminence that God was there. God was clear. And for most of us these days, that doesn't feel quite so much the case. We can't see and touch. Uh, we can't hear uh, what God is saying. So it's all very much in a different way. And so the question that many of us are faced with today is, why is God so silent? Is God silent? How does God speak? Is there relevance to what the Bible said back then for now? How do I interpret that? How, how do I look at that and say, what is he saying for me now? And so on. And so there are multiple responses to those sorts of questions. The atheists, of which at one point I was one of those, the atheists would say, well, God's silent and he's uh, apparent in action with humanity. It just proves he doesn't exist. Uh, and yet scripture addresses that pretty clearly in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, where Paul says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So we see there that God very clearly does speak through creation. His voice there is never silent. You just need to look uh, through the scientific lens at, at the creation of even plants or people or whatever it is. And you can see the, the design there, that there's a creative element in all that. And so creation speaks very clearly. But the Christian response for the believers, like the predominant uh, larger amount of people who are watching this today, their responses are quite different. Um, one response of Christians is that, well, God has already said all there is to say. He said it through the Bible, and then he said it also through Jesus himself. And there's a great case for that, of course, and it's, there's scriptural elements to that, which are very clear. Hebrews 1, 1 to 2. Uh, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. So there you go. It's very true. You can't question that. He spoke through the prophets in the old days, and in the time of writing, uh, God had they declared God has spoken now through his son. Um, so there's no question behind that. Um, 
But the reality is there also is that in their context, post the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, there was no New Testament. They were becoming the New Testament, if you want to put, put it that way. It wasn't until uh, a few hundred years later that we compiled what uh, the people in charge of the churches back then believed to be the inspired word of God through the writings of the apostles and so on. And so for those first few hundred years, what was their scripture? What was their scripture? We take it very much for granted that God is speaking through scripture, but what did they have? And what did they have that continues to this day? Did God change his mind after the scriptures were compiled? And so on. These are big, question, big questions uh, in the Christian world. Uh, and ones I, I don't shy away from. They're ones that are very important for us to grapple with today. So one Christian response is God has basically said all that he has to say. He said it through his word, said it through Jesus and how Jesus lived his life. Another response is that, well, now God is still speaking today and, and I hear him very clearly. I hear him speak to me all the time. And you'll often hear those who adhere to that uh, will say, look, God said this to me today. God said that to me today and so on. And perhaps that's the case. But, but often we'll find that the trouble with that mindset being, uh, if we're too cavalier, too blasé about that, is that uh, people can start to say God has said this and God has said that. And we start to think, I wonder if God did say that. There's, he seems to talk to you a heck of a lot and, and what you're saying sounds a lot like what you would normally say anyway. And we don't know how to grapple with that because there seems so often uh, a lack of tangible backup to what they're saying. It's easy to claim God said this or God said that, but uh, not everything you say seems to come true and it sounds to be something that you would normally say anyway. So how do we digest that? So it puts all of us in a very interesting position if we adhere to that so clearly without question. But there is another response, a third response about how does God speak today? How do I hear what he's saying and so on? And it says this, that God really, he has spoken. We have a record of that in the Bible and through what Jesus said and did. But he also does continue to speak into our lives. But the reality is that we can receive that in a clouded way by our own human limitation and our ability to hear his voice needs to be developed. Uh, we can't be blasé, we can't be cavalier about it. We need to say, yeah, there is elements where God still speaks to us through his spirit, but we need to understand how that works in our context and how we put safeguards around that. This is really the middle ground view. It's really the, the view, obviously, uh, I adhere to myself, uh, fully believe that God still does prompt his people. The spirit is at work in us, guiding us, strengthening us, giving us wisdom. Jesus promised that he would do that. And so he is able to do that. The onus then is on us. How do we manage that? How do we apply that? And how do we see the, um, the weight of that against things like Scripture? 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul grapples with this as he's talking to the Corinthians. He says, Now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am known. And you can see what he's grappling with there, particularly in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. He's saying, look, it's great that you guys are working with the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are working there. But you've got to understand that what the Spirit is doing is coming through the body of Christ. He's coming through his people. Uh, and these people are not perfect. God is perfect. Everything he does is perfect. He cannot say anything that is not true. And yet our mind can tell us things that aren't true. And so we need to own the fact that we are in some ways a filter for what the perfect impressions that the Spirit would bring us. There's a mingling there that the breath of God mingles with the dust of man. So that the perfect and the eternal is mingling with the temporal and the faulty. And so we get this huge imbalance uh, between what is of God 
and what is then transferred through the human mind and our ability to speak and articulate and understand. And so often we need to comprehend that I'm seeing in part, I know in part, I won't know fully and clearly until one day when sin is completely out of the picture, where there's no imperfection, that right now we need to understand how do I grapple with the imperfection of the human soul as we engage with the perfection of God's spirit. And so there's this mingling there, the potential for limitation. See, it's very different to the Old Testament. Christians here will want to get very simplistic here. And they will say, well, in the Old Testament, uh, the way it used to work was the prophet would speak. And if it was proven to be untrue, they would stone and kill the prophet. It was pretty harsh back then. Uh, and that should still apply today. You know, let's stone the Christians who get it wrong. Uh, you can get into a bit of trouble doing that. And I do, I do believe that's a very simplistic view that's not actually accurate in the New Testament context. So let's unwrap that just a little bit. The Old Testament context for, for God speaking to people prophetically, especially, which was the primary driver back then, is that God sovereignly came upon people. He overruled their will. So he bypassed the human element of that. Let me, let's read about it in, in 2 Peter 2, verse 21. Peter says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we see there, he's saying the will of man was not involved there. It was a prophetic uh, working where God overruled and they were carried along by him. There was no um, interaction or there was no engagement or there was no defiling by the human being through which the prophetic message came. So that's a very clear difference to our New Testament reality. In the New Testament, uh, God does not overrule our will in the prophetic sense. He says, no, no, you are now the body of Christ. All of you together very different to one person on their own. And so the message comes into the body of Christ and the body of Christ has a say in how we steward that, in interpreting that, in applying that and sensing and agreeing together what God is saying. Let's have a look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 14 as Paul is wrapping up his dialogue on this. He says, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. And get this, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. Now, I don't want to get involved in a conversation about little p and big p prophets here. We're not talking about uh, who has an office and who's just able to perceive the whispers of what God's saying here. But let's, let's limit this to the idea that we are able to perceive that the spirit has a voice and we as his people uh, can sense that his whispers in that. And so Paul is saying that uh, it's subject to control in, in the sense that we aren't, when the Spirit comes and he's starting to speak, we aren't obliged beyond our human will to just say, God is saying this and that's that. And, that, and by doing that, rob anyone of the say uh, of being able to question that or process that or come together and say, how do we apply that? It can't be like that. It's saying the Spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And that means we have self-control. We can perceive what we might think that God is saying. And, and yet we can determine through wisdom and experience and, and recognize gifting amongst his body how and, and when and why we will uh, bring that word out, that message out. There's a way, there's a place, there's a time, and there needs to be safeguards around that. So we're not carried away in the same way. There's self-control, there's limitation. And so the body of Christ, it's a very interesting uh, dynamic, is involved in this whole process. We become, in that sense, a prophetic people who process this together and try to live out and direct ourselves according to what God's saying. 
So that's a very different mindset. It, it makes it in some ways a little bit uh, open to a bit more messiness, a few mistakes. And the body of Christ needs to be okay that, okay, because I'm involved in this, we're involved in this, there's the potential for uh, us getting this a little bit wrong. There's a potential for us to make a few mistakes. Therefore, we need to put safeguards in place. And yet we don't, as Paul says uh, later in his writings, we don't choose because of the potential for error to despise prophecy. He says that, don't quench the spirit by despising prophecy. Why does he say that? Because it's so easy to do that. When, when little mistakes are made or someone says something out of turn or, or they say it at the wrong time, it's like, well, that is, that is not what we do here. We can't accept that. We have no room for buffering uh, that which is imperfect through all this. He says, no, don't do that. That's just, that's just as wrong as making a mistake. He's saying, no, be mature as the body of Christ. Weigh things up, but don't quench prophecy. We need to hear what God is saying more and more. Don't, don't put that flame out. We need to encourage that. So how do we do that safely? How do we do that as a body? How do we do that at Kenmore Church? Well, the, the first question, I guess, is why aren't we hearing more? Why aren't we hearing more clearly? And I'll give you a few pointers there. The first one being that we have narrowed our bandwidth, if I can put it in those terms, the modern terms, our bandwidth of what we are hearing from God. Paul said we know in part, we hear in part, we see in part. What he's saying there is there's a limitation to our the spectrum of what we're able to pick up and receive and sense of what God's saying. It's saying that we have limitations. We have mental limitations. We have limitations of IQ. We have limitations of understanding of God's ways and, and the way he deals with people. We have limitations of vocabulary. We have emotional limitations and brokenness and the compulsion to need to be understood or to be heard or to be important. We have limitations. And so that limits the bandwidth because God's beyond all that. God's bigger than all that. He may want to communicate things that are way beyond the understanding of any single person or any of us because he's always beyond us in so many ways. And so we need to understand that we have a temptation as humanity to make God in our image. We take the narrow limitations of what we understand and what we know, and we say, that's what God does. That's how God speaks. And we limit him in that sense. We try to make him fit that grid. 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul talks into this in a different way. He says, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. And cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So the temptation there is only to articulate and from the other side of the fence to only accept or, or um, take as valid that which we understand. And this becomes very perilous if you think about that. Because what we're doing in the sense because we're essentially making God in our own image. We're limiting who he is to what we can understand. If something, a principle would, would want to come through or God who does more than we can ask or imagine starts speaking in a terms or trying to give a whisper in the terms that we don't have any grid for, we will reject it. Uh, and so this becomes very difficult for us to manage this whole process. I found that one of the best practices I've ever been able to adopt is to read books and be around people who have opinions that are far different from mine and whom I may even disagree with in some fundamental elements and yet still uh, look at their experiences, their understanding, the way they articulate their experience with God and say, is there something there that I've missed that's beyond what my personality, my history, my culture and my denomination might dictate as normal and acceptable? Is there something else I can learn? Because God's going to be bigger than all of those boxes. Okay, point number two. So the first one was, have we narrowed the bandwidth of what we understand? The second one is that we aren't aware of the different ways that God speaks. 
So God speaks in different ways. And normally we have our own favorite for this. We say, well, God speaks to me in this way uh, through my quiet times or through my devotions or whatever that is. So let's just lay a few of them out from directly from Scripture. The first one, obviously, is Scripture itself. That, that Scripture is the, the, the most authoritative, clear representation of what God is saying, his ways, his morality. The Bible, you just can't go past the power of Scripture. It's God's word. What's God saying? Well, he's never going to contradict what he has said. If you want to know uh, the way God speaks, see it, look at what he said. The, the Bible is true. God's word is true. It is always true. There is no lie within him. And so the infallibility of Scripture, God's word, is ironclad. You take it to the bank. And so our starting point, what is God saying? Look at what he said in the Bible. You're not going to go wrong there. Of course, you need to read that properly. You need to understand how to interpret Scripture, how to go through the exercise. What did it say to them? Uh, what did it mean to them? What, what meaning did they bring from that? Because God's word will never mean to us now what it didn't mean to them then. This is a great tool for understanding Scripture. We can't take a prophetic word from the Old Testament and, and say, oh, that means something completely different now. He was speaking to them. They understood what he was saying then about their situation and so on. And so we've got to have the right tools about interpreting Scripture. So scripture is the foundational element of, of the ways God speaks. The second one is the whispers of God's spirit through his word. And by his word, that could mean the scriptures or uh, the, the, what we're saying about God's word. So, for example, if I look at Romans 10, 17, Paul says, Faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, the word he used for word is the Greek word rhema. There were two, or rhema. There were two different words, logos, which is a written word, and rhema, which is uh, either a spoken word or a word that applies specifically to this situation. It's, it's the word applies to now. It's not just a text that is a blanket truth. It's a truth that applies to my life right now. And he's saying faith comes, and he was talking back then about people placing their faith in Christ, it comes through hearing the word of God. The, and some translations say the message of God, the gospel message he was talking about particularly there. And so there's this element where the gospel message was not in the scriptures that they had. It wasn't in the Old Testament. So they were bringing the gospel. Faith came through hearing and hearing the gospel message about Christ. So it's the word of God. It was a word of God, a word about God. It was a word that God would speak. It's something God would say. And so faith comes from hearing what God has said and what he's saying right now. And so we need to be careful uh, about how we interpret and how we weight what we would call a rhema word from God, where someone says, well, here's what God is saying. Um, we need to put some boundaries around that, obviously. But this is a valid way. It's the whispers of what the Spirit is saying through what God is saying and picking that up because that brings faith into our soul. Another one is the direct sensing or can I say hearing of God? And sometimes we can do what we call hearing from God without there being an audible voice around. In fact, that's the massive majority of the way God speaks to us in a sense that we say, well, God is saying something to me. We're sensing that he's saying something. It's very seldom it's an articulated, audible word, even though that happens as well. We can see an example in Acts chapter 2. Verse 29 to 30, talking about uh, uh, Philip as he was um, directed by God with his evangelism. It said, the spirit told uh, Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked him. And so you see this instance where the spirit has given Philip a prompting. That guy over there, he's, he's reading the scriptures. Go on over there. That's all apparently from the text. That's all he said. 
Uh, he didn't tell him the next bit uh, of asking him, telling, asking what question he should ask of the guy and so on. It was just a guidance, go over there and uh, you'll figure out what to do as you go. So it's more of a general sort of leading. It was a sensing. And I love this sort of thing. Uh, it, it happens and, and can happen far more than we would think. This could be a, quite a normative way of doing life, of just being aware of the whispers of God uh, and the ways and the places that he would guide us to speak into people's lives. And Philip obviously was quite aware. He could sense intuitively what the Spirit was saying through there. And for us to adopt this sort of listening to God, we need to have uh, courage. We need to be able to say, I'm listening no matter what you say, I'm going to be doing that. Um, and we need to just practice the art of the sensitivity and clarity of picking up what the Spirit is saying. It takes a bit of practice, takes time, and takes a fair bit of commitment. So we can sense or hear what God is saying. Another one which is quite um, clear in its delivery, but can be much less clear in its interpretation, is that of visions and dreams. And uh, some of us are way more open to or able to receive visions and dreams than others. Some people just never have them. Some seem to have them with, with you know, regularity. Um, but the interpretation of these messages, these pictures, can be quite a perilous exercise just on its own. Uh, I've had a few of these and sometimes I've got them incredibly right, sometimes devastatingly wrong. And so you'd need the wisdom of the people around you to help you know what to do with that. Let's look at the example, Acts chapter 10, 10 to 13, story of Peter. It says, Peter became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance or a vision we could interpret that. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Fascinating moment, key moment in the life of uh, God's church as the permission for the Gentile believers, which ultimately would become us, um, had permission to uh, receive this gospel. God was saying that that which you assumed is unclean and separate from you, now I'm, I'm declaring clean. So the Gentiles it was what it was all about. Those people that you've said, we are not like them, I want them grafted in. So that was the message behind this um, vision. But I read that and, and um, uh, a lot of my family are in medicine, so I look at it through the lens of medicine. I can, you could typically see, oh, he's hungry, uh, He's having a hypoglycemic attack now. He's gone off and he's fainted and he's had this picture of food. I mean, that, it sounds exactly like what I would do if I was, I was too hungry and I could smell a good steak being fed. I'd, I think I'd fall over and I'd see visions of food as well. But the great thing about this is that as that's happening, Cornelius in another, another place is a Gentile believer. Uh, he's, he's been praying. He doesn't know what to do about that, but he has this awareness of God and he's been praying and God speaks to him and says, I've heard you go get Peter from this other place. And so there's a direct uh, link up and correlation between what God's doing through dreams and visions to these two people. And so you'll find uh, this is quite a common manifestation these days, particularly in the Middle East or cultures that don't have uh, our New Testament reference. They, they don't understand Jesus. They don't understand what we take for granted from Scripture. And so God just invades that space and says, well, let me, let me do it through a dream and a vision. And so the Middle Eastern church through uh, difficult nations like Iran and Iraq is just spreading like wildfire, wildfire through visions and dreams. Uh, the next one is uh, the prophetic word of other people. So someone uh, separate from you has been praying or just picked up that God is saying something to you or about you, and they come to you with this revelation and this word. 
And uh, this, is, this can be incredibly powerful. It can be an incredible blessing. It's also fraught with a little bit of danger because uh, the way that's uh, received and delivered, the way we uh, process that, there's all sorts of uh, room there for us to get, get it wrong or you know, hopefully get it incredibly right as well. But we found in, in recent years, um, this is, it can be quite a controversial issue uh, because of the potential for errors, but also the potential for incredible blessing as someone who's quite gifted in these areas can perceive something so strongly. And the way we process that normally, if, if that sort of a word would come to us, normally there'd be a sense of echo about it. It's like, ah, this resonates with what God's already been saying to me. This agrees with something that I picked up from Scripture. or This agrees with what the sense that I've had from God as well. Or someone else has brought this same word to me. And it's a great thing to be added to an existing folio of uh, guidance from God. It can be an incredible confirmation. Uh, it would pay to be wary most times about uh, allowing us to guide our whole life by one impression that one person's brought to us. Normally, it would be part of a suite of guidance that comes to us. And it must be weighed up. It's, it can't be taken as given. And, and, and as we've seen, the scriptures would say, don't take these things as given. They need to be weighed up by God's people. Uh, so we need a lot of wisdom. Uh, and as enthusiastic as we can get sometimes about just saying, oh, that's God has said and let's go act on that. Normally it means we need to weigh that up, process that, and then just see how God himself begins to open up those doors. So we have a practice around our church. We love the whole idea of the prophetic word, but we have teams uh, and people that, we, that we've trained up and continue to train up with. They've been tested. They're, they're competent at this. And yet still, and uh, we ask other people to weigh up what's been said, go home, pray about it and test it against what God's already been saying. But we are not going to despise prophecy. Uh, we're going to say if, if it's from God, we want it and as much as we can possibly get. But we're going to put safeguards around that. Okay, so uh, what's another reason why we haven't uh, been able to hear as much as we possibly can from God? The third reason is that we haven't trained our ears to hear. We just haven't put the time in. We haven't really had the faith to say, well, God may want to speak to me more clearly, and we haven't invested the time to do that. And what we find is that these days we are actually living in probably the single most distracted era that humanity has ever known. It's pretty hard to find silence anywhere. It's hard to find the time uh, to just sit and engage and learn the, the art of listening and ruminating over God's word. And uh, to actually know what he's saying, and know, we, we need to know what he's said. And so we need to cultivate this uh, digestion that we have for his written word, to spend the time reading lots and lots of scripture. Eat the meat of scripture. I, I can't say that strongly enough. If you want to know what God is saying, you need to be grounded in what God has already said. Get his word into your heart. And these days, people just do not read enough scripture. Um, if I start hearing people say, God has said this and God has said that, but I know they don't read their Bible, I'm going to have all sorts of uh, warning lights on the dashboard about that. We need to get embedded and understand the written word of God. So how do we hear more closely? That's probably the big question. Well, Jesus was the greatest example of how to cultivate an ongoing, dynamic, clear path with God to hear what he's saying. Jesus would often say, look, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what he is saying. He had this uh, real-time engagement with the Father every day where he would just listen and apply and do what the Father was guiding him to do. How did he do that? Well, he was constantly going away on his own. Even if it was in nighttime when everyone else uh, was sleeping, he would say, well, that's the time. I more than sleep, I need to engage with my father. And so we use that term, he dug a deep, deep well. He's saying, he, he's saying, no, I'm building a reservoir here 
of his presence in my life so that when I go through the day tomorrow, I'm drawing from that deep, deep reservoir. And I just got to say, there is just no substitute for time spent with God. There's a uh, saying that we throw around sometimes, a casual uh, dedication uh, brings casual revelation. If we seek God in our, in our just our spare off moments, uh, if, if we're that casual about it, we can't expect that we're going to be able to hear and perceive that which he's saying. It's a relationship. You can't just give uh, anyone that you know flippant time and expect that communication to be strong. And so we need to dig that deep well. We also need to respond uh, quickly to his small prompts, the whispers that we hear from him. And so when you sense uh, in your day-to-day life, you sense a leading for God from God to pray for someone or to just encourage them, just to bless them, just do it quickly. And, and uh, it's often it's that, it's that quick, um, un, uh, pre, unpremeditated sensing. You think, suddenly, I should just go and encourage that person or maybe I should give that person a call or send them a text. Or It's just you, you have this strong and immediate sense, ah, there's a God thing that needs to happen with that person. Follow those prompts quickly, especially if they, uh, they're out of character for you. You're distracted on something else, but suddenly then you hear, oh, I think I should send that person a message. Do that. Do it quickly. But when we do it, you don't need to get weird about it. You just need to do the sorts of things that Jesus would do. Do what God would do. He just wants to bless people. He wants to encourage them. He wants to give them strength. And so we don't need to have a lot of detail about that. Perhaps he'll guide you as you take that first step of obedience. But the main thing is respond how God would respond. Build people up and do it quickly. And so that initial voice, that initial prompting that we say, oh, was that God? Was that not God? Learn to follow them quickly. And and the way we protect ourselves is we don't go in there and say, oh, God's just told me to call you. We just know you go there as God's person and encourage them genuinely, unless there's uh, anything more specific that comes in there. So respond to those small prompts. And finally, just ask uh, God the right questions. Because sometimes we pray and we wonder why we're not hearing anything, but I find the best question is when I enter a room is, God, who are you wanting to bless right now? Who are you wanting to show love to right now? And that question always gets a response because he's always wanting to encourage. He's always wanting to love people. He's always wanting to bless people. And so I'll just walk around a room and and in the absence of any direct guidance, uh, often you'll just get a sense, how about that person? Now and again, it'll get more precise and you'll say, definitely that person. Sometimes it'll get more precise again and say, not only is it that person, I want you to say and pray and do this with that person. But normally, normatively, it's just being about walking slowly through a crowd and doing what God would do. In the absence of clarity, just do that anyway. Encourage, lift people up and bless them. And so we can ask the right questions of him about who he wants to be blessing with that. You know, as we wrap this up, the the key thing we need to understand is that One of the key primary markers of those of us who would be mature people of Christ is that we are followers. There are three key heart markers in us. One is faith. One is freedom, which we talked about last week. But then there's this second one now, which is uh, following. Following God. Uh, He called us to be followers. It's a key marker. In John 10, 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. And they follow me. These days, our conversation about our life is much more about what's God calling me to be? What's he calling me to do? But God's conversation is, I've asked you to follow. I just want you to follow. Don't get complicated about it. Don't get too far ahead of yourself. Just follow what I'm doing. When he spoke to the disciples, he said, follow me. To be my person means you're following me. Walk in my footsteps. 
They used to say, walk in the dust of your rabbi. And so that's very much a sense of, I don't need to know too far ahead. It doesn't need to be defined. I need to follow. And when we begin to follow him, we're going to find it's going to become missional. If we're following the spirit, the spirit is going. The spirit is going out into a world that lacks God's presence, that lacks his impact. His heart is out there. God the Father sent Jesus. Jesus sent the Spirit. The Spirit is sending you. He's saying, follow me. I'm going out there. The, the maximum use of, of what I have for this world is found in the marketplace. It's found in the places where they're not hearing God's word. They need to see and experience what I'm doing. And there's so much blessing for them out there. So it's going to become a little bit hairy in that sense. It's going to be, okay, I need a bit of courage. I need to be able to be mature enough to not fear. If I want to hear what he's saying, he's going to be sending me out. And so I need to be able to be prepared for that, to be able to give my testimony quickly, to be able to follow the prompts and, and encourage those, to not be fearful of their reaction, but to go with a heart of blessing, not needing any response, but just to be God's person in that place. You know, the world's greatest outreach strategy for a church is prayer. The greatest outreach we can do as a church is God's people praying and interceding getting together in their personal life, in our corporate life, having prayer meetings, hearing what he's saying, and then just doing what we see him saying. That's where the power is, going out and doing what Jesus would have us do. So what's the call to action this week? What's a, what's a good next step for you? Well, it's pretty simple. Practice. Just do it. And you may want to set a routine for yourself, maybe once or twice or three times a day. You set aside a moment to say, okay, this time is where I'm going to ask God, what's he doing? What's he saying? Is there someone that you want me to bless? Begin to practice. Begin to cultivate. Begin to learn. Learn more about the ways God wants to work in people's lives so that he has more bandwidth of what he can communicate to you and through you about what he's doing in people's lives. The more we know about God, the more we know about his word, the more we know about what he does in people's lives the more he's able to have that bandwidth where we can just go out there and partner with him, do what he's doing and say what he's saying. So bless you this week. I hope this is an encouragement to you. And in the download section of our website, you can have an application section there where there's a video and some questions where you can begin to just work through together how you can apply that in your life. But right now, why don't we enter into communion? You know, this whole message has been about the whole idea of being a follower. We're called to be his followers, plain and simple. We're to follow his example of life, Jesus' example that is. We're to follow his guidance, that's the guidance of the Spirit. And at some point it's going to become a little bit uncomfortable for us. We need to really understand that this call to follow is more than a call to a comfortable life and a ticket to heaven. the, the heaven part is part of the deal, but what we're called to is to follow him, to bring his kingdom, to advance the causes of the gospel and morality and ethics, justice, uh, advancement into this world. So it's going to get uncomfortable. It's going to, at some point, uh, cost us some degree of comfort. Jesus said in Mark 8, 34 to 35, it says, uh, when he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And so we have a job to do. We have to be prepared if we're going to follow, if we want to hear that it's going to cost us those idols that we bow down to our comfort and materialism and all those sorts of things. And he says to us, just as he said to the disciples, you know, this is the fine print. Uh, If you want to follow me, 
You need to take up your cross and just get on with it and follow. It means we're leaving aside the rights to the old life and we're following him into his new God life. And so communion for us is just a moment where we just remember this is what he did. He's saying if you want to follow, it's part of that is taking up our cross. He took up his cross. His cross uh, made way for us to have access to God. His body was broken in place of ours. His blood was shed as the price for sin, our sin, not his own. He did that for us. And all of that, if we buy into that, we're saying, I'm with Christ on that. I'm relying on what he's done. And I'm going to follow him and do as he did and live as he leads. So let's eat and drink together in uh, remembrance of what he's done. And if you can, in commitment to take up your cross and follow him as well. Let's eat and drink now. Father, we thank you for what you did. It's a confronting gospel. It's challenging and incredibly exciting. Sometimes the thought of just letting go of this life and, and all that it uh, often promises but doesn't deliver, to giving up on that and saying, I just want to follow the God life. I want to follow what Jesus says. I want to do what he did. It's far more exciting. It's far more meaningful. So we thank you for that opportunity bought for us through the cross. We thank you for the cross in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll bless you today and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Uh, don't forget, we'd love to see you in person at our gatherings. Uh, we're meeting again on a Sunday. Plenty of room for everyone there in our lovely facility. And we'd love to see you there. Uh, don't forget to download the notes and have some discussion time amongst yourself. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again soon. Bless you now.